Welcome to the Give and Go podcast, and I am your host, Kelton Brooks, and I'm here to give you these straight facts and opinions, and you just have to go with it. Now, of course, this past weekend, we've had the joy and the pleasure of watching the NBA playoffs, and I'm going to start with a rather interesting quote from Indiana Pacers star Paul George. Now, for those who did not watch the game, what Paul George is referring to is the last second shot that was taken by C.J. Miles and not the Pacers' star, which is George. Now, George was double-teamed at the top of the key by LeBron James and J.R. Smith when the double-team crashed towards him. Now, he should have taken advantage of the double-team before they even collapsed at him because he had plenty of room to roam and run, but that is... A difficult point to sell when you have a 6'9", 6'8", 200 and whatever LeBron James coming at you and a much improved wing defender in J.R. Smith in front of you. Now, Paul threw the ball to C.J. Miles. C.J. Miles pump faked. Richard Jefferson put up the shot and the ball hit nothing but the side of the wind. Um, the side of the rim, excuse me. Um, the game went to the Cavaliers. Now, I do agree with George that the ball should have gone back to him. Immediately when he threw the ball out to double team, Paul George should have went right back and demanded the ball. And George said in the postgame interview that he talked to CJ about that, saying he should have got, got his back in that situation. But the thing is, the numbers indicate that Paul George really wasn't demanding the ball in the fourth quarter because in the first three quarters, Paul George had 26 points. He was cooking the Cavs. And in the fourth quarter, Paul George had three. One, two, three. Tres. Three points on four attempts. Now, in his defense, that three-point shot that he hit, it did make it a one-point game um, to make it 109-108, which was eventually the final score. But when you're scoring 26 points in the first three quarters, you have to give your team more than... Three points in the fourth quarter. You can't say that the Cavs, you know, clamped down on defense because they didn't. The Cavs were still a bad defensive team. But Paul George should have taken advantage of their double team and went and gone back to, you know, received the ball back from C.J. Miles. And it was a picture that was floating around that showed a wide-open Lance Stevenson under the rim. And for those who can do math, like LeBron James said in the – post-game interview, the double team, that means it is a four-on-three situation. So there was an open man. George just did not see the open man. And, of course, George, again, should have gotten that last shot from C.J. Miles. But the game should not have gotten down to a one-point game. The Cavs went up by 12 points, I believe, in the third quarter, and they should have ran off from the Pacers. But this is the same Cavaliers team who went up by 26 points in against the Atlanta Hawks in the regular season. 
and they eventually lost in overtime. Now for the Cavs, I just they're not the same defensive team that was able to close out of three point shots last season and scramble um to the ball. They've never been a great you know shot blocking team, but they could alter shots. But they have not shown that capability this season. But the Cavs, I believe, shot 60% in the first half and finished the game shooting around 54%. And the Pacers shot right at 49%, I believe, um, in the game um, as a whole. So I just cannot expect the Cavs to come out and have that pro- prolific of a scoring output in game two and not win by at least 10 to 15 points. Now, just going back to the Paul George situation, who was, again, killing the Cavs all game. He just, he just does not have a dependable scorer behind him. You won't trust Monte Ellis. You won't trust Jeff Teague, who the Cavs just bullied all game long, giving him that Stephen Curry treatment when you switch, put a, put a player on Curry, bully him in the post, drive by him out on the wing because we know Curry is not a good defender whatsoever or a top five player in this league, if you ask me, but this is neither here or there. But they gave Jeff Teague their treatment in Seek and Destroy and bullied Jeff T the same way they did Steph Curry in the NBA Finals last season. So in game two against the, between the Cavaliers and the Indiana Pacers, I do expect the Cavs to win by at least 10 points. And I actually picked the Cavs to win in a sweep simply because LeBron James, he is a different type of animal when the when that playoff start. You know, because of Russell Westbrook, many of us did not, Realized that LeBron James averaged a career highs in assists and rebounds, but it's something that LeBron James can do in the regular season that's going to impress anyone anymore because he is chasing Michael Jordan, who is a mythological creature um, when you ask anyone else who feels like Jordan cannot be surpassed. But again, back to the Paul George situation, he should have gotten that last shot. He should have gotten that last shot. He should have demanded the ball to get that last shot, but you cannot be a superstar player, and I and I do think that Paul George is a top 10 French player in this league, and if they don't win, we've all, if he's made it clear that he wants to play for his Los Angeles Lakers, but he wants to win now, so why would you want to win now when we head to the Lakers? I don't get that. Again, you are listening to the Give and Go podcast with Kelton Brooks. I picked a lot of these series on my blog, which is brooksweekly.wordpress.com. So you can go there and check that out. And you can follow me on Twitter at brookshnnews. Now, speaking of DNA, which is one of Kendrick's um, singles on his um, new album entitled Damn, which is a really good album. Now, speaking of DNA again, what is in the DNA of Giannis Attentacumpo? If I pronounced his last name incorrectly, please forgive me. But the Greek freak is a man amongst boys. But the crazy thing about saying that, he is only 22 years old. 22, and he's a 6'11 point guard, point forward, with a wingspan of a freaking pterodactyl. So I just don't see now, just after watching game one, I just don't see how the Raptors can um, respond. And this is just not a game one overreaction. It's just the fact that I actually picked the Raptors to win in six games because I did not think that Giannis could do enough to defeat um, two Jacks, which is Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, because 
Giannis hit the spade compared to those Jacks. Like, Lowry and DeRozan, they are who they are right now and will be in the future. I don't feel like that game can evolve and improve and become, not even become, but just exceed their skill sets now versus Giannis, who in the next two to three years, or four to five, can, can arguably be the best player um, in the Eastern Conference or in the NBA. Now, I'm not ready to say Giannis is the second best player in the East because I still give that title to Kyrie Irving simply because I think he is so special and so unique of a player in this league. But I don't think the series is, is special in the matchup per se. I just think that series is special because Giannis is deserving of this national audience after scoring 28 points in his first game in the postseason since 2015, I believe, where he averaged 11.5 points per game. So Giannis is the special of a player. He is worth every single coin and every single eyes that will be on him um, in the series against the Raptors. The Grizzlies versus the San Antonio Spurs. Um, that's a bore. Uh, I mean, Marco Saul is a good player. Mike Conley is a good player, but they're nothing special. They are both Honda Accords who can get you where you need to go. But when it comes to performance and display and being able to get out on the road and look good and look fancy and just look fly, they are not the ones to do it for you because they are not superstars. They are just good players in this league versus Marcus Aldridge and Ka- Kawhi Leonard, who is a legitimate MVP candidate and a Hall of Fame coach and pop. So this is a boring game. The first game was a blowout, which every game probably will be. So nothing more to see, nothing more to talk about with this boring yawn matchup. The Washington Wizards versus the Atlanta Hawks. That's an okay one, simply because um, John Wall and Bradley Beal is one of the better young backcourts in the NBA. And Paul George is a legitimate top five, top ten point guard in this league. Arguably top five. You can you can make a case to put him outside the top five. But nonetheless, a phenomenal player in this league. And Bradley Beal was and should have been. And he was an all-star. He was an all-star snub. And the Atlanta Hawks, they just got a bunch of dudes. Like, no one is trying to watch Paul Millsap put in putbacks all game long. And Dwight Howard is... He's just an, a regular guy on the court. He's nothing special. He's nothing what he used to be in the past when people thought of him as the top center in the, in the league. He just never progressed. He never um, elevated his game of play in this style of the NBA. He's somewhat of a, and, of, of a relic, and he's still a poor shooter from the free throw line. And I actually picked the Wizards to win this series in six games simply because they're just better, quicker, faster, younger, and they have the top two players in that series is on the same team in John Wall and Bradley Beal. Now, I said six simply because I felt like maybe the Hawks experience and the youth of the Wizards could catch up on them um, in this series. But they just look too good. It just, they just simply look like the better team. I like to give and go. Now, the Warriors versus the Blazers. I picked the Warriors to win in five. This is a pretty interesting series simply because Damian Lillard said the Blazers will win in six. And what do you expect him to say? He's a confident, uh, very confident, not shy at all type of player and uh, person on and off the court. But that's all they have. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Those guys were just 
absolute supernovas in the first three quarters, but you can see that their legs got tired. They didn't have the same lift in the shots in the fourth in the fourth quarter, and they both finished the game with over 30 points. But that's all they have. They don't have a legitimate third option behind those two. And I believe it was a nuts, like just an insane stat in the first half when they had like 55 points combined at halftime or something like that. And I could be wrong, but they, they had, maybe they combined for like 40-something points and the rest of the team scored like eight. So you cannot have that against a team like the Warriors with Stephen Curry, you know, Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. You can't have that against guys like that. And I just simply do not believe that C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard can keep up the just phenomenal and just fantastic play that they showed in game one because, as it showed, they tired out in the fourth quarter and they just do not have enough to keep pace with the Warriors. Now, again, I picked the Warriors to win at five, and I do think maybe, maybe one game that Dame and C.J. could carry the Blazer to one, not come from behind victory, but one surprising victory over the Warriors. But the Warriors are going to win this series no matter what. Again, you are listening to the Give and Go podcast, and my name is Kelton Brooks. Now, another series that's worth bringing to your attention is the Utah Jazz versus the Los Angeles Clippers. Yes, now the Clippers are a forgettable team, a forgettable name, because this current lineup of Chris Paul, who is still a top five point guard in this league, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and J.J. Reddy, Jamal Crawford, and crew, they should have been broken up last season. This is a regular season built team who cannot last against the San Antonio Spurs or the Golden State Warriors. Now, as much jokes as we cracked about the Warriors blowing a 3-1 lead to the Cavs. Remember, just a few seasons ago, the Clippers blew a 3-1 lead to the Houston Rockets. It's just it wasn't as much monumental as the Cavs and Warriors series was because it was in the NBA Finals. But this team is not built to compete against top-heavy teams. It's not built to last in the playoffs because they are who they are right now. They have not improved since this bunch was put together. They will stack up wins in the regular season because they have premier talent on their roster, like transcendent talents in Chris Paul and, again, Blake um, Griffin. But this team has not and, and will not go to the NBA Finals as long as the Warriors and the Spurs are in the West. I'm going to the Jazz. I cannot pretend like I've seen them all season long, but I knew, but I do know they have guys like Gordon Hayward and, and Rudy Gobert who got hurt in the first 12 seconds of the game with a hyperextended knee, so hopefully he can come back because he is a pivotal um, cog in Utah's defense, which is among one of the best in the league. And I picked Utah to defeat the Clippers in seven games because I, I want to see the matchup between the Jazz and the Warriors simply because I feel – It'll be an, an intriguing matchup between the Jazz length and defense, like how the Thunderlong defense kind of rattled the Warriors last season. And I feel like that the Jazz can have the same defensive um, prowess against 
the Warriors if they meet in the second round because if the Clippers happily just so happen to advance, it's going to be a five-game series. But I do think that the Jazz can actually make this um, stretch because who was the last team to defeat the Warriors? And that was the Utah Jazz in a regular season. Now, I know the regular season doesn't you know count for more than peanuts when it comes to the, to the playoffs, but I do believe that the Jazz can cause some issues within Golden State because when it gets to late-game situations, I don't believe that Curry and Durant has showed some cohesiveness in like late-game situations when they have to defer from the other in tight games. I don't feel like they've, they've been put in that situation many times this season against a slowdown. Well, the Jazz are not, are not necessarily a slowdown team, but a defensive-minded team who can dictate the flow of the offense and make it a half court game versus what the Warriors like to do, which is get up and down and shoot threes, of course. So I would just like to see that particular matchup. I think that a matchup will show why the Jazz went from a non-playoff team last season to the um, fifth seed in the playoffs this season. And just to have some Joe Johnson love, in the last 10 seasons, Joe Johnson has hit eight game winners. The next person behind him has four. And that in those 10 seasons. And who is that person with four? LeBron James. So Joe Johnson. I'd hear it. Um, How old is Joe Johnson? I don't know, but he up there. He's been in the league for a while. But Joe Johnson is still out here giving buckets. He's still out here as a clutch player in this league. And a possible Utah Jazz and Golden State Warriors matchup in the quarterfinals of the NBA playoffs. That's a matchup that's worth to see. The Thunder versus the Rockets. That's the most, inter- where well, we thought it would be the most entertaining matchup between two MVP candidates in Russell Westbrook and James Harden. But truthfully, it's not. Because one person, Harden, has a team behind him. Westbrook has a cast of D-row actors pretending to be Everything else but what they are. like it's, it's simply amazing that Westbrook was able to drag that lowly cast of characters to a sixth seed in the West. How? Every triple-double that Westbrook achieved this season, he needed it to drag this bunch to the playoffs. If you take Patrick Beverly... Lou Williams, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, and put one of those players on the Thunder's lineup, then you gave the Thunder the second-best player on the team behind Russell Westbrook. Because it ain't Victor Oladipo. Victor Oladipo should have never been the number two overall pick in that draft, in that terrible draft that had Anthony Bennett as the number one overall pick. Victor Oladipo is an athletic guard, but he is not a guy who can go give you buckets the same way Westbrook can. Not even in a sense of the same way. He is just not a dependable. Oladipo is better fit as a number three guy after your number ones and twos need a tad bit of a break on offense. You can come in and give the occasional bucket, the occasional open three-pointer, the occasional dunk to um, incite the crowd. Oladipo is not that dude. He is not a number two option. Steven Adams, we know what he's there for. Blocks, rebounds, putbacks, dishes from 
you know, Westbrook, alley-oops. Andre Robertson, no. Enos Cantor, yeah, I mean, you have to play defense in the NBA. He plays none of it. He's tall, and that's all. So that's really not a series. I picked the Rockets to win at six, and man, this could really be five. I like to give and go. Again, you are listening to the Give and Go podcast, and my name is Kelton Brooks. You can follow me on Twitter at BrooksHN News and check out my blog at BrooksWeekly.wordpress.com or even check me out at my day job, which is at the HutchinsonNews.com where I am a sports and multimedia reporter. But the Chicago Bulls defeated the Boston Celtics 106-102. And I picked the Bulls to win in seven games, but the score, Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, that's not the story. The story is Isaiah Thomas, who decided to play a day later after learning his sister died in a horrific car crash the day before the game, and he elected to play. It's tough. And for lack of a better word, man, it's just tough because when I read or hear players say they decided to play, and not that Thomas said this, but this is what you hear a lot, and that could, you know, maybe what was said internally, but athletes say that, you know, that person who who passed away would have wanted me to play. I personally could not. I just could not do it. I just could not bring myself to played the next day after, you know, learning that a younger sibling has passed away. Because I have a I have a twenty year old um, brother and I just cannot fathom the thought of losing him in a car crash and thinking that I would be able to play in a NBA playoff game the next day, let alone come to work. Let alone blink, let alone breathe. Because when you're going through a stressful and just heart churning and twisting situation like that, you feel like you're underwater. It's, it has to be hard to breathe knowing that you lost someone like that. And in the game, you just saw his eyes were so red and so puffy. He broke down in the pregame shoot around, and teammate A.V. Bradley had to come and console him because. He was just, you know, overcame by the emotion of the thought. And, you know, and he wrote on his shoes, you know, R.I.P. Um, little, you know, little sister, his sister China. I, I just cannot. You know, not saying that Thomas did not have the heart in, in, in the sense that, you know, just the always flowing love, just the sense that, just having a wherewithal that you know I'm I'm playing a day later and a loved one has died. It's just I I could not do it. I could not physically do it. I could not mentally do it. So that's why we don't we take for granted that these athletes are men and women off the court. They fear, they love, they hurt, they cry, they are happy, they are sad, and when something like this hurts, and you know just. And for the Boston crowd to give him a standing ovation every time, you know, he scored or made any type of play in the game was 
um, a very emotional gesture for Thomas, but I just cannot physically and mentally do it. So to hear God to say they could do it, we don't recognize how strong these men are physically off the court. You know, they still are human, even though they display you know, inhuman abilities while they are out there on the floor. But man, losing a sibling and playing the next day, man, that's, that's tough. For lack of a better word, that is extremely tough. And so prayers to the Thomas family who are dealing with that ordeal. And Thomas wasn't the only one who was dealing with a significant loss. And this one is just as treacherous as former NFL Pro Bowl tight end Todd Heap. He accidentally killed his three-year-old daughter in the driveway. Now, I've read a lot of preliminary reports. Cause I was um, I was previously a crime crime reporter once once upon a time, and I just wanted to see some of the details, but no details have yet to be released from just from what I've been reading. And they said that he was you know was not impaired; he wasn't under the influence of any type of you know, substance or anything like that. But just from my friends of you know my friends that have you know younger young children. I'm just imagining a scenario of, you know, she went out to see her dad or she was outside playing and he was getting ready to leave and he didn't know where she was, maybe. And that said the incident happened in the driveway. And so, you know, maybe he was pulling out and then just one thing led to another, man. Just being able to stomach that, the knowing that even though it was an accident, but it came within your hands, even though it, you don't want it to come across that way, but having to bear that, treacherous ordeal like day after day after day like how do you get over something like that like how do we program that in our brain like how do we move on in in situations like that i just cannot fathom like i'm assumed to be father um i'll have my firstborn child in october but i don't think i've developed that love yet as far as you know seeing my child here and there and this child was three, three years old. That's a tough one. So again, prayers to the Thomas family, prayer to the Heap family as they try to get over um, their different but yet painful um, ordeals. So I hate to end this podcast off on a sour note. Well, I shouldn't say sour note, but just on a sad note because life is real and life gets you. Things happen in life, man. You won't, you don't want to experience these types of tragedies. But tragedies happen. And as a community and as a nation, we want to come together in situations like this, especially in sports. Just like when the Boston bombing happened, it was a Boston Strong, and there was also Boston Strong signs in um, the Celtics arena to support Isaiah Thomas. So, his prayers to the heap family and the Thomas family. So you have been listening to the Give and Go podcast and my name is Kelton Brooks. You've heard what I've had to give you today and now it's time for me to go.